go. Well, take your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9 and also, also Acts chapter 7. Uh, we're going to start in 7, but our, most of our time is going to be in Acts chapter 9. While you're turning to Acts, I'm going to turn to the book of John and read a few verses from John chapter 16. John chapter 16, this is Jesus talking to his disciples on the night before he was arrested, and this is what he says. These things I have spoken to you that you should not be made to stumble. They will put you out of the synagogues. Yes, the time is coming that whoever kills you will think that he offers God service. And right there in the margin of my Bible, I have the name Saul written right there, right? He perfectly fits that. They will put you out of the synagogues. Yes, the time is coming that whoever kills you will think that he offers God service. And these things they will do to you because they have not known the Father nor me. Damascus, it is a well-known story Last week, as we picked up with the Gospel Project, we were in Acts chapter 8. And so we're actually going to turn back a little further, back into the end of Acts chapter 7, to see the first time in the book of Acts, the first time in the New Testament, that we are introduced to this guy, Saul of Tarsus. Stephen had been arrested, and he is speaking in front of the Jewish leaders. And the whole chapter of Acts... Acts chapter 7 is Stephen's message to them. And what he does basically is, um, is just rehearse the whole entire history of the nation of Israel. He starts at Abraham and he works his way all the way down through the history of the nation of Israel in Acts chapter 7. So if you go home and read Acts chapter 7, you will uh, really have an overview of almost the entire Old Testament because he, he does such a good job of rehearsing the entire history of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Moses, and David, and all those guys. And you can imagine him standing before the Jewish leaders, and as he is telling this story, they all know it. They are all agreeing. I can see them all nodding with him in agreement as they are listening, and they are tracking right with him uh, all the way down through what he says until... He hits verse 51, but let's read in, in verse 47. Acts chapter 7, verse 47, he says, Solomon built him a house, meaning God. Solomon built the first temple. It was beautiful. It was magnificent. Nothing ever matches Solomon's temple. Solomon built him a house. However, the Most High does not dwell in temples made with hands, as the prophet says. Heaven is my throne. Earth is my footstool. What house will you build for me, says the Lord, or what is the place of my rest? Has my hand not made all of these things? And then Stephen points his finger right in the noses of his audience and listen to what he says. You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your father did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who foretold the coming of the just one, of whom you now have become the betrayers and murderers, who have received the law by the direction of angels and have not kept it. 
Well, what was their response? When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart and they gnashed at him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed up into heaven, saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God and said, look, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice. They stopped their ears and ran at him with one accord and they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down, cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. So that was the first martyr of the church. Stephen is somebody that we can really uh, look up to. He did an excellent job that day in what he had to say and, uh, and what he did there in front of the Jewish leaders. But when, when he was stoned that day, it says in verse 58, they stoned him and the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And here is our introduction to Saul of Tarsus who later becomes the Apostle Paul. Chapter eight, verse one, it says, now Saul was consenting to his death. And at that time, a great persecution arose against the church which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the region of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentations over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. And so here we see that Saul, the first time we see him, he is consenting to Stephen's death. He's standing there watching. He's watching over the coats of the people that are throwing the stones. And he observes all of this, and he really starts to be committed in his own mind and heart. And he says, boy, this is really the thing to do. And he focuses his energy on going after the Christians. He, uh, it says that he makes havoc of the church. He drags people away. He commits them to prison. Later on, Paul himself says that, uh, that when... When the uh, that he cast his lots against people when they, when they were uh, proclaimed guilty and then put to death, and so he was involved in all of that uh, against the early Christian church. He was the biggest enemy of the Christian church, Saul of Tarsus. So then the rest of Acts chapter eight goes into talks about Philip, and we looked at that last week. Philip in Samaria, and then Philip with the Ethiopian eunuch. And then Acts chapter 9 gets us back to the story of Saul. And that's really where we're going to start today. Our Sunday school material has this broken into three different parts. Number one, Paul confronted by the Savior. Point number two is Paul called for a mission. And then point number three united with the believers. Confronted by the Savior, called for a mission, and united with the believers. And so that's what we're going to uh, look at today. So Saul of Tarsus, 
he has an unusual experience uh, with the Lord, certainly unique the way Saul meets Jesus, and we will begin by reading that this morning. As we go through this morning, if anybody has a, a comment, just wave your arm and I'll, I'll, I'll see you, or else just holler out and interrupt me. I don't mind um, either way if you have any comments or questions. So, first of all, here we see Saul confronted by the Savior, and we will read uh, the first nine verses of chapter nine. Then Saul, still breathing out threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Then the Lord said to him, Arise, go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no one. Then Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. He was there three days without sight, and neither ate nor drank. So we see Paul confronted here uh, by Jesus in a very dramatic way. Uh, reading directly from the Sunday School material here, it says, In Acts chapter 9, we learn a lesson about the prevailing power of heaven, the deliberate movement of God and the humility of humanity in response. Saul had garnered favor among the religious rulers and acquired clout for his audacious threats against the church. But when the time was right, a sudden light from heaven and the voice of the risen Savior forever changed Saul's life. Jesus called the one persecuting him to come to him in faith and obey. And through these verses here, especially verses um, three, four, five, and six. Those are kind of the, the story in a nutshell of Paul being thrown to the ground. In my mind, uh, I don't know why, there doesn't say anything about Paul riding a horse here. But in my mind, in my imagination, I always see him on a horse and this light hits and uh, he's thrown right off his horse onto the ground. I don't know if there was actually a horse or not, but he's definitely thrown to the ground just absolutely clobbered, so to speak. He's on the ground, groveling in the dirt, and he hears this voice, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Lord, what do you want me to do? Arise, go into the city. You will be told what you must do. 
It's interesting right here that we see uh, really a very good picture of God sovereignly moving and doing something that God has been planning to do for a long time. I'm going to turn to Galatians chapter 1. Paul in the Paul says that uh, God had 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 him on his mind. He had been on God's mind and heart since the beginning of time. And in, in Galatians chapter 1, verse 13, he says, For you have heard of my former conduct in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. And I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my nation, being more exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood. And so Paul says, uh, since, since the beginning of time, um, and, and Paul says in Galatians that God had separated him from his mother's womb. And so we certainly see the, the sovereign uh, foreknowledge of God at work here and God's sovereign decision to really come and uh, overpower Saul in this moment and really confront him in this unique way. On the other side also, um, we see it's still Saul's free choice the way that he responds to Jesus. Um, you've probably never thought about this, but what if Saul said no? What if Saul had a negative response? Do you think that could have happened? Uh, we all have free will, right? And maybe Saul could have said, you're Jesus? No, wait a minute. I hate Jesus. I hate the church. I work against everything that has to do with Jesus, and I won't bow down. I won't uh, humble myself. If, if that's who you are, I'm your enemy. Uh, he could have done that if he, if he chose to, but he didn't. Yes? Right, and what do you think that means? Hard to kick against the goats. It's the, it's the pride. Right. I think that, that Paul probably had studied scripture very, very much, and there were probably things in scripture he knew about Jesus, and he understood and knew that, uh, that Jesus really did fulfill prophecies. He had watched Christians that he had attacked as they had stood firm in their faith, and they had been an incredible witness to him. He has seen all of this stuff. He had seen Stephen. He listened to Stephen, and he saw what happened with Stephen. And all of these things are things that are just prodding Saul. And they are the goads that say, look, uh, I think this, it's not called Christianity yet. Uh, he's, it's called the way. He's looking for people who are part of this sect, this sect of Judaism called the way. Well, nowadays we call it Christianity. But uh, Paul, in that moment, realizes he says, okay, this is Jesus, uh, the, the same Jesus that is the creator, the Jesus that, that Stephen said he saw in that, the last moments of his life there, standing next to God the Father. Uh, this is Jesus. Okay, I'm switching sides. <laughs> Just like that. 
Uh, he understands, and in humility, he says, Lord, what do you want me to do? And he, he understands the truth, and he accepts it, and his instructions from the Lord arise and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. Um, so our conclusion about this, this section of the verses, this section of the story, each one of us is confronted by the gospel and each one of us must choose how to respond, either in humility and accepting the truth uh, or rejecting Yes, exactly. Saul of Tarsus definitely thought that he had the truth. And, you know, he was in his own mind. He was defending the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, uh, the God of Israel. He was just uh, very tenacious and committed to that. And then at this moment, he realizes that Jesus is, uh, you know, what it says in Colossians. He's the creator. Uh, he's, he's the one that he is the creator God, and uh, he's the one who is the resurrected Savior and the Messiah. And so he's, he very readily switches sides. Yeah. Winter right. <laughs> yeah. Right. And, and truth that was completed in in Jesus. Everything came together and was completed in Jesus. And so at this moment, uh, Saul learns that, realizes that, and he, in humility, says, Lord, what is it that you want me to do? So he is uh, taken, taken into the city. It says he opens his eyes, but he doesn't see anything. And he's taken into the city for three days. He doesn't eat or drink. Uh, he is probably deeply in prayer and, uh, and uh, confused. His mind has been blown a little bit, so to speak, and waiting on the Lord. And so even though his story is dramatic and unique, the same elements are there for each one of us. There is an aspect of the fact that God knows about us before the foundation of the world, and yet there's an aspect of the fact that we have to um, exercise our free will. There's an aspect of the Holy Spirit uh, bringing things to our minds, convicting us and goading us. As we mentioned, it's hard to kick against the goads. And so all of those aspects uh, are true in each one of our lives as well. We're confronted by the gospel and we have... Uh, have to choose one way or another. And it's also true that uh, in God's grace, there are many people who are confronted by the gospel over and over and over and over through their life um, before, before they accept it. And so that is definitely God's grace. The second part of the story, they're, they're focusing on the call to a mission. And so let's take time to read that, in, starting in verse 10 and going to verse 16. Now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias, 
And to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. So the Lord said to him, Arise, and go to the street called Straight, and inquire at the house of Judas, for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he is praying, and in a vision he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. And so Ananias goes. If you keep reading the story, Ananias goes. It says we'll read verses, verse 17 as well. Ananias went on his way and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. So the, the point of being called on a mission, we actually see this in, in two different ways here in this story. It's pretty interesting. Ananias is called on a mission. This is um, Ananias. This is the only place in scripture where this guy appears. Acts chapter 9. This guy gets one cameo appearance <laughs> in the New Testament. Okay? But he turns out to be a very, very important fella. And he obeys the Lord and has an important impact on the life of Saul of Tarsus. Now imagine in the decades following, we, we don't see Ananias anymore in scripture, but in the decades following, what, what story does Ananias have to tell the church and his children and his grandchildren? He gets to say, I was the guy who went and found Saul of Tarsus and prayed over him and brought it, gave him back his sight and I introduced him to Jesus and I had a part in telling uh, what it was that Saul was going to do as he uh, is changed into Paul, the great missionary. And so Ananias gets a very, very exciting episode here, a very exciting chapter in his life that uh, he gets to remember. But Ananias gets called on a mission. It's very immediate. Okay, on the other hand, Saul of Tarsus is being called on a mission, but it's not immediate and it's not short term. This is the mission for the whole rest of his life. Ananias is used to point out what Saul is going to do for the rest of his life. So Ananias is called on a mission that is immediate and, uh, and just right on that day. Saul, through Ananias, is being called on a mission that is going to be uh, for the rest of his life, for decades to come. Ananias gets the, gets the directions. He the Lord speaks to him, Ananias, and he says, here I am, Lord. He's anxious and willing to hear from the Lord, anxious to obey <laughs> until he hears what it is. <laughs> I'm a lot like Ananias, I think. <laughs> I'm anxious to obey until I hear directly what it is. And I'm, Well, let's think about this again. The Lord said to him, arise and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus, 
Behold, he is praying, and in a vision he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hands on him so that he might receive his sight. And Ananias answered in a completely understandable way, right? He says, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. So Ananias says, whoa, wait just a minute. This doesn't sound like a good deal whatsoever. I would really rather not do this. Let's, let's pass this over. But God says, no, 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 you go. Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. And so... Ananias is called on a mission, an immediate mission, a, a mission that only takes him that day, or maybe he, I'm sure he got to spend more time than that with Paul, but just that, that day in particular where he goes and meets Saul of Tarsus, and then through him, God says, I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake, and Saul learns about his mission in life. <clears throat> okay, what did Saul and later Paul, you can holler out as, as many things as you can think of here. What did Saul and or Paul do and what did he suffer for the rest of his life? What are the things that, that come to your mind right off the bat? Stoning. Stoning. Okay, stoning in particular? Shipwrecks. Shipwreck. Imprisonment. Imprisonment. Beatings, many, multiple beatings, different times. Going hungry. Okay, hunger. Death before kings. What's that? He stood before kings. Right. Right, got to stand before, got to stand before more than one, a high level official. And different kings and, and different people like that. He got to stand before them. And, and so uh, he had quite a, quite a list of different things that he was going to be involved in and the things that were going to be involved in his mission for the rest of his life. Um, our book says, God called Saul into Christian service in two stages. First, through the appearance of Jesus and then through the work of his church. And what he's referring to there, um, there was this, this day on the road to Damascus, but then later on also, we won't take time to turn there. We need to keep moving. But if you read in Acts chapter 13, Paul is at the church in Antioch, and the Holy Spirit says to the rest of the leaders, separate to me uh, Saul and Barnabas for the work that I have for them. And so in one moment, he, Jesus is very directly... Uh, speaking to him there on the road and then also through Ananias and then later on through the church and the leaders of the church and he is called into missions through the church. Yeah. So, so far, two out of two people that are called into missions have a pretty scary um, predicament. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Yep. <laughs> That is, that is a very good point. 
everybody gets to be, it's like getting to the end of the diving board that's really, really higher than you thought it was, and then wondering if you should really jump off, right? You get, you get called, but it's gonna be scary. Exactly right. <clears throat> so God used a disciple whom Saul would have despised, thinking of, of Ananias. Ananias was the guy that Saul was going to find, right? He would have despised him, but instead he uses Ananias to make a disciple out of Saul. Only God can do this unexpected, miraculous work. So we'll read a little bit more before we continue on. Saul knew that instructions were coming in Damascus. That's what Jesus said. Go, go into the city and I will show you what, what to do. But God gave the details of Saul's calling to Ananias. God wanted Ananias to know the potential of God's work through the rebel Saul before Saul could even conceive of the unimaginable future that awaited him. This is an encouragement for the church. Those who are far from God might be the most promising tools in the hands of God to reach people and the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We should never count people out. Who knows what God might do with the life of a scoffer turned believer? Our time is, is running a little short, but you might be able to think of people in your own mind who, you, who you know, I never ever would have thought that so-and-so would have become a Christian. I can think of a guy uh, when I was young, a guy that I knew up in, in Summit County. Uh, his, his name was Mike. Um, the absolute last person you would have ever thought would be interested in, in the Lord. And then I moved down here to Cortez, finished high school for three years in Cortez. Later on, I was back up in Summit County living with my grandparents. I went to church one night and here's Mike. I looked at him, I thought, can't be the same guy. It was the same guy. He looked at me and he said, hey, aren't you Greg Forsen's little brother? <laughs> I said, yeah. And Mike had been totally changed, totally changed. He was, he was humble and uh, soft-spoken. He was just a complete change in the guy's life, and it was a shock. Um, but God loves to do that. Um, <clears throat> all right. Our time is just about gone, and so we're going to have to skip ahead and, and hurry to finish up here. Our last section is the fact that Paul is united with the believers, and we're going to read the last few verses here. Uh, 17 through 22, let's read those. Ananias went his way, he entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once, and he arose and was baptized. So when he had received food, he was strengthened. Then Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. And immediately he preached the Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. Then all who heard were amazed and said, Is this not he who destroyed those who called on, the, on this name in Jerusalem? And he has come here for that purpose, so that he might bring them bound to the chief priests. But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving that this Jesus is the Christ. 
So Saul is united with the believers. And uh, again, reading from our, from our book here, it says, of all the terms Ananias could have chosen to describe Saul, he chose one that reflects his own faith, that what God said about Saul was true. He called Saul brother. Saul, who was the angel of death, was now called a close, intimate relative. Only the gospel can do that truly. These two people had little in common to bring them into a unified mission, except that the Lord Jesus had called both of them into his grace and salvation. Thank God that he unites us with other believers in his church. We all need brothers and sisters who welcome, encourage, and show us the way of faith. So we uh, want to make the point about how important it is that Saul is brought into the church. He is united with the believers. Ananias, the first thing he calls him is brother. He walked in the room, he found Saul, he lays his hands on him and he says, Brother Saul, Jesus has sent me to you uh, to pray for you and to talk to you. Justin Martyr is a guy who lived from the year 100 to the year 165. And so uh, he said, we who formerly hated and murdered one another and did not even share our hearth with those of a different tribe because of their customs. Now, after Christ's appearance, we live together and share the same table. Now we pray for our enemies and try to win those who hate us. And so uh, the church is, of course, God's body. It is uh, God's instrument for uh, spiritual growth among the body, but then also evangelism, reaching out to everywhere else with the truth of the gospel. Paul is united with the believers. Um, there's a, in Proverbs 18.1, this is a, a good proverb that talks about how important it is that a person does not isolate themselves, right? Um, it says, a man who isolates himself seeks his own desire. He rages against all wise judgment. <laughs> well, sometimes our personal tendency, I know a lot of times my personal tendency is, I don't mind just isolating myself. I don't mind just, hey, let all those other people, let's leave them alone. I just want to focus on my own thoughts, do my own thing. I just want to, you know, go my own way. Well, oh, that's not too surprising, isn't it? All we like sheep have gone astray. We all like to go our own way. We like to do our own thing. In Proverbs, uh, you know, I remember specifically reading that verse one day, and you know how it is when you read a verse and it seems like it just smacks you between the eyes, right? And I read that verse one day, and it, that's what it did to me. A man who isolates himself seeks his own desire. He rages against all wise judgment. Well, the other side of that is the church. The church is the group, the church is the body, the church is the place where fellowship is supposed to take place, growth is supposed to take place, and that how, that's how God has designed it. Saul was immediately brought into the fellowship of the church. We'll read one more paragraph and, and then close. Uh, this is how we will wind it up this morning. Uh, none of us, not even Saul. <clears throat> Hang on, I just lost my place. 
None of us, not even Saul, can navigate the course of ministry on our own. God has designed the life of faith this way. We all need other believers to partner with us, pray for us, and encourage us. Saul awaited Ananias to pray for him so the scales would fall from his eyes. Similarly, we need the church. Where would any of us be if not for the voice of the faithful at a critical juncture in our lives? We fool ourselves by thinking that the Christian life is a lone ranger venture. Instead, this journey is an interconnected fellowship in which believers mutually benefit from one another as we minister in the power of the same Holy Spirit and in the name of our one Savior, Jesus Christ. Well, we will wrap it up right there. If there is one more comment, uh, we'll take it, and then we'll be finished. Yes? Right. Absolutely, absolutely. The church needs you. Not only do you need the church, but the church needs you. And, okay, I understand today's a, a snowy day and a snowstorm, and there aren't very many people here, and that's, that's fine and dandy. But uh, on all other days, on all other days, you just need to be here, right? You just need to be at church because you are going to bring something good, just maybe just by your presence. Um, you're going to be able to, to see somebody, to visit with somebody, encourage somebody, lift somebody up. Maybe the pastor's going to say something that is really going to hit you straight between the eyes today, <laughs> right? Well, but you need it. It's going to be important. It's going to be very, very valuable for your spiritual growth. You need the church, and the church needs you. And Saul is a guy who became the great missionary Paul, wrote a whole bunch of the New Testament, started churches, and uh, is a great example for all of us. So our time is up. Let's close in prayer, and then we will continue on with the morning. Father God, this is a well-known story to most of us, and yet as we take time to think through it again, uh, we are challenged again with all of the different aspects of truth that we see in the story of Saul uh, being met on the road to Damascus by the real, true, risen Lord. It made a life-changing impact, of course, in his life. And he, through scripture, has made an impact on our life in teaching us about Christ, and about all the important truth of Christ and the gospel and the church. We thank you for him. We thank you for our time that we can have together. We pray for uh, the service to come as pastor preaches. We thank you for uh, our time together. We thank you ahead of time for the good things that we're going to receive this week. In Jesus' name, amen.